0: We've dealt with the A part, if you will, the shortening of the feet. We dealt with that in our last study. So today we want to look at the Gospel of Peace. Amen? If you also remember, we did uh, indicate from uh, Exodus 15 on the issue of the preparation and the movement of the children of Israel from Egypt. As they were to leave, the Lord instructed them to tie up their sandals. Now they were moving out of one realm to another realm, like I told you, hallelujah. So, let us also understand, like we also said previously, When we talk about the gospel of peace, we're also talking about Christ as the Prince of Peace. Remember that? Okay. And when Paul said in Romans 1, 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for the power of God unto salvation, we do know that 1 Corinthians 1, 10 made us to understand that Christ is the power of God. Amen. So if we say, I'm not ashamed of the of the gospel of Christ or the power of God, automatically we are talking about the life that flows through Christ as you begin to understand him as the living Word. Amen. So now, uh, tonight we're gonna to be looking at a few things in relation to that. Uh, so the first question I would like us to ask is, did Jesus say he came to bring peace on the earth? Because you're talking about the gospel of peace. If it's talking about the gospel of peace, then the question is Did Jesus come to reap peace on the earth? Let's look at Matthew 10 and then we'll look at verse number 34 and 35. What do you find there? Think not that I'm going to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. That looks very contrary to his nature. Am I right? If he is the prince of peace and is the gospel of peace, and yet he's saying he didn't come to bring peace. It sounds contrary. But we need to understand what he's saying. Verse 35 says, For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. 36, and a man's foe shall be of his own household. Hallelujah. Let's also look at the book of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And it says, in Luke 12, 49. I am come to send fire on the earth. Hallelujah. I am come to set fire on the earth. And what will I, if you be already kindled? I came to set fire upon the earth. So what will I do if it's already burning? Now, but I want you to see this statement of Jesus in relation to who he's supposed to be. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the Gospel of Peace we're talking about. But here he starts saying, he came to set fire on the earth and the fire is already burning and there's nothing can do about it. So the question is, where is the fire? Ordinarily, if you want to think about the way people think about fire in relation to the word of God, where is any fire burning today? But I can tell you, fire is truly burning. Amen. Now, look at verse 51. Suppose here that I came to give peace on earth. I tell you, nay, but rather division. He's trying to explain what he said in Matthew chapter 20, the Matthew chapter 10, we read before. Is that okay? I didn't come to send peace, I came to send division. 52 says for, for when there shall be Five in one house divided Three against two And two against three The father shall be divided Against the son And the son against the father The mother against the daughter And the daughter against the mother The mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law And the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law What a description Hallelujah now it's amazing where we profess to be having like it is recorded the gospel of peace and yet the Lord himself who is supposed to be the Lord of peace is telling us he came to bring division. So what is the understanding of this statement? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you there? Now if you look at our verse 34 of Matthew, which we read before, which says, Think not that I come to send peace on earth, I came not to send peace, but his sword. If you look at it from what uh, Luke was writing, you get some explanation. But verse 34 is a little bit different in this sense. The Jews, in their belief, they have the understanding that when Jesus, the Messiah, comes, It's going to send away the Romans and then peace will begin to reign in the land. Prosperity will come, economy will boom and things like that will happen because the Messiah they are looking for has come. And I was speaking to them, said, do you think I came to bring peace? In other words, you have to understand something. If you truly accept my ways, you are going to find peace. But if you reject my way, the only thing you are going to find is a sword. But to the Jews first, actually because of their rejection of him, what a God was thought. Because all the sects within the Jewish religious system ended up fighting among themselves. If you remember, some of you were not around when I was teaching on Matthew 24. There was a lot of fighting and killing that took place. That was the sword which he sent. Then the number two sword was allowing the Roman soldiers because of his still rejection. If you look at Matthew 23, it said, When I desire to clothe you or to cover you as a hen, remember that you rejected it. Therefore, your heart is left to you all Desolate. In other words, trouble is coming because you rejected me. So, my presence works in both ways. Just like, I talk about, you know, we're talking about the two edged sword. Remember that? Okay. So it caught both ways. You reject me, you get into trouble. You accept me, you get into peace. It's as simple as that. It is the same sword, but it's caught in both ways. Hallelujah. Are you there? Okay. So, what is meant by the sword here that he sent among them? The point is, when you reject the offer of God in Christ, you incur trouble for yourself, and you become self-destruct. In other words, you will live out your life to the place of destruction for rejecting him. The Jews rejected him and they became self-destruct. In other words, they they produce what will lead to the destruction of the society because they rejected him. Are you getting the point? Hallelujah. Okay. Again, when he said he did not going to bring peace, I want you to understand that. He said, Father, Christ's gospel actually set division amongst household and men. This is so because of the variance in belief and decision to forsake the world, whose lifestyle is opposed to the kingdom lifestyle. Remember what he said? I came to set division. Amen. So where is the division coming from? Oh sorry, shifted it again. All right. Division is coming from the fact that your belief is now becoming different from my belief, and what creates harmony amongst people is one mind and one spirit and one tongue. Do you understand that? Now you come, you know if you watch it today, you're going to see that in some household, who even claim to be Christians, some may be Baptists and others are Pentecostals and they don't agree. Have you noticed that? Go. Oh. And that's exactly what he's talking about. Through believing in Christ will produce harmony. But if you believe him religiously, there's always going to be division. And again, if you come to a family, for instance, that maybe you are the only one that becomes a Christian in that family, then you know what that means. Automatically, there can never be agreement between you and your parents. The parents will agree with you, and you will agree with them. Because the concept of life, the principle of life, the ideology of life is completely different, especially if yours be modeled by the kingdom principles. Are you following what I'm saying now? But yet, it is called the gospel of peace. So we need to begin to understand why is it called the gospel of peace? And yet we find all of these variants taking place. It's simply because our mindset most often It's a religious platform. We don't truly accept the proposal he has for us to be able to have peace. And so in every family, you're definitely going to find that. The the, the, the mode of life of the husband or the wife, the children, the son-in-law, the father-in-law, like the scripture is saying, will be completely different all because of what they believe about Christ. Are you following what I'm talking about? That is a fire set upon the face of the earth. If you study your family very well, you are going to see precisely that this scripture is playing out. Except, all of you set up believing in the same way. And it's not always very easy. That is the fire that's already burning. It's not always very easy. You know, there are certain things that... I love almost every minister. Hey, let me put the word that way. But I don't love every ministry. You see what I'm trying to say? Okay. Now, if you are staying with me, you are going to find problems. Except God is going to be helping us all the time. But you're going to find problems because there might be some people you want to be listening to that will not minister to my spirit. And all of this is because of level of growth and grace. Now, if God will not help me, I want to drag you to where I am. And now you will be resisting me because you feel I'm oppressing you. I don't know if you are following this. You feel I'm oppressing you, I'm not giving you your liberty. But I'm saying this thing cannot help us. And so I want to drag you. Now it requires grace for me to be patient to see how you can gradually walk to the level that I am. And in a part, you begin to feel, oh, you're trying to oppress me. You don't give me liberty to do what I want. But by my own little experience, I know that even that which you want cannot help you in your walk with the Lord. Now, there's a division. So, it can happen between husband and wife, children. I mean, just think about it. It happens. And that is a fire that the Lord has said, which is already burning. Like he said, I came to set fire on the earth. Say, so what am I going to do about it if the fire is already burning? Which is a kindling, the fire is already kindling, the fire is already burning, there's nothing I can do about it, in other words, I have to allow you to do what? To burn. Praise the Lord. Are you following that? Okay, so the next thing, so how does the gospel bring peace to us then? If all these things we're talking about, surely that's the way they are. How does it bring peace to us? How are we going to walk? Hallelujah. Amen. So let's get down to uh, like I said, in Luke chapter 12 again, verse 49, he says, I am called to set fire on the earth, and what will live is already be kindled. Now let's get down to 1 Corinthians 3, verse number eleven, and down to 15. First Corinthians 3, three, eleven to fifteen. Uh, eleven to let's see where we're going to stop there. Let's 11, eleven to thirteen is okay. And he said, for other foundation can no man lay than that laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by what? By fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Hallelujah. Let me say something on that first. It is true that we are all believers. Understand what he's saying here. This scripture is not talking to unbelievers, it's talking to believers in the faith. Hallelujah. Now, he's talking about the works that you are carrying on, the things that you are doing, your your mode of worship, your style of worship, your belief system. So what he's trying to say here is, if you look at it very critically, he used specific things to describe the state of your worship or belief. There's a state of the gold dimension of believe and worship. The silver dimension. The precious two dimensions. The wood, the head, the stubble. Now, if you watch gold, silver, and precious stones, fire doesn't destroy them. Fire purifies them and makes them better. Are you listening to me? If you apply fire to gold, it gets better. For you to really get pure gold, it must go through Fire. Are you there? Good. But if you look at the three other things, fire destroy them. Wood, hay, and stubble. If a stubble is worse off, that one, you know, just like kerosene, hay, almost the same thing. Wood probably could take some time to burn. That means all your system of worship is classified into three dimensions by, by the use of these elements. You can be a worshipper in the dimension of gold. You can be a worshipper in the dimension of silver. And then you can be a worshipper in the dimension of precious stones. Again, you can be a worshipper in the dimension of wood or hair or sepul. In other words, if you fall into the last three categories, your works amount to nothing on the final analysis. Now, these three last categories is similar to what he said on the last day. So we say to me, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. Remember that? And we say, so Go away from me, ye workers of iniquity. Now, the man who builds on gold has the same divine nature of Christ or God. It's so working in the lifestyle and the divine nature of Christ, which is a purified nature, as the case may be. Hallelujah. So this is what we need to understand. It's not enough for instance, to say what I believe. It's not enough. It's not enough to say I'm doing ministry. It's not enough. One of the reasons I don't like certain ministries, I've always explained to people, I don't like ministry that keeps you bound. A ministry that doesn't make you Because who you are supposed to be, I don't subscribe to it no matter the amount of miracles the person performs. Because we are not meant to make people look cheap. We are meant to raise the Christ and the life of God in their lives. That is what ministry is all about. See, Paul we say that Christ may be formed in you. I had an experience two days ago. Somebody came in here, that man that came with chief, I don't know, walked in here. And then they called me out. I was greeting them and I shook the man and he said, he's coming around here to get some plot of land to build. I said, praise the Lord. That means you're staying close to the house of God. He said, oh no. I believe that God is in me. Wherever I am, wherever I go, God is with me. Man, these are the people I can identify with. That alone tells me the life science, the class of person, the understanding he knows about God. It tells me the level of growth he has attained to in God. He said, no, wherever I am, God is with me. When I'm driving in my car, anywhere I am, God is with me. That is the reality. Such a man, you can't toss him to and fro. Such a man, you can't use even miracles to cheat him. No, 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 no. He knows exactly who he is. It was not easy for me to find out who your pastor was. But whoever the man is, I give thanks for, his, for, his, for what he has done in the life of that individual. I wish all believers can think about that. I wish all believers can understand that. Praise the Lord. So there is a foundation for God. There is a foundation for Siva. Siva. Precious stone, wood, hair, stubble. The choice is yours. What God is saying is this you may do all of this in, but if it's not found on the three first levels of worship, you amount to nothing. You're going to lose everything. You will lose everything. Praise the Lord. Every man's work have even manifested it that they are declared because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Now I get to Galatians 5, verse 16 and 17. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. Remember, we're asking the question, what's the gospel of peace all about? Galatians 5. And yet there's a lot of fire going around with it. If you are walking at a dimension of the three false levels, it also shows that there is no trial that will come your way that will make you fall out of faith because every trial purifies your faith. Do you understand that? Every trial does what? purifies your faith, makes it better, makes it stronger. Praise the Lord. Let me correct something today. How many of you know that God does not tempt people? Is it wrong to say the temptation or that God tempted Abraham? God didn't tempt Abraham. God tried Abraham. The trial means God tested Abraham. God can test you, but He doesn't tempt you. Because He knows that if He tempts you, you don't have the ability to stand. But He tries your faith. So what we really have is trier of faith. Are you sitting there? Even if God wants to tempt you using that word, He tempts your faith, it doesn't tempt you with evil. Let's put it that way, before I better understanding. it. God does not tempt man with evil, because he do understand man will definitely do what for. Okay. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and shall not fulfill the loss of the flesh. For the flesh lost it against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you should or you would. Amen? You find your time to read Titus 3, 1 to number 4. But what I want to answer, the answer I'm giving you, why do we call it the gospel of peace? Because, the answer is, the gospel separates us from our soulish life and releases to us the uncreated life, destroyed life of God. Hallelujah. And the abundant life of God is released through the Holy Spirit of God as the agent of reconciliation. And I want you to understand that. The gospel separates us from our soulish life... ...and releases us to the uncreated. The life of God is not a created life. Do you understand this? So, when our soul is dealt with... ...the real life of God is released. And there's an abundance of that grace... ...or that life of God that begins to flow. Now, one of the things that really, really identify God... Describes his own nature is that of peace and love. Hallelujah. So when he said the peace, I mean the the spirit lost against the flesh, the flesh against the spirit. It's just what we're talking about. What separates you from the flesh, so that the spirit will come alive is what the gospel is all about. Anytime you receive the gospel, you find that it's dealing with certain aspects of your life that you don't enjoy. I mean that you are supposed to be enjoying before. But you end up not enjoying what he's dealing with. How many of you understand what I'm saying? Praise the Lord. The gospel is not sweet. But yes, it is peaceful. That is the mystery. It's not sweet. It's not sweet because our natural man opposes what is written for us. That's supposed to stand for our well-being. It opposes our thought pattern. It opposes the life we want to live. Everybody has a life he or she really wants to live. Now the gospel is most often against the life we have chosen to live. Are oh, you seated? Praise the Lord. Let's look at something in the book of Isaiah thirty-two. Isaiah 32. i I'll read from verse 14. Because the palace shall be forsaken, the multitude of the city shall be left, the folds and the tower shall be for dance forever, a joy of white house and a pasture of flocks. Until, in other words, listen, if you look at verse 14, it is describing a confused state, a state of devastation, a state where all manner of things are invading the city. If you know that we ought to be the city of God, individually and collectively as the church, is describing a state where even, now if you look, I want to talk about the joy of wild asses, talking about beasts operating in that system. Amen? Are you there with me? everything is falling down, there is confusion, there is not what you want to describe or enjoy, as the case may be. He said, the state will remain that way until something happens. Look at verse 15. Until the Spirit be poured upon us from on high, and the wilderness be counted for what? For a fruitful field, and the fruitful will be counted for what? For a forest. Then judgment shall dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness remain a fruitful field. And the work of righteousness shall be what? Peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in what? A peaceable habitation and in short dwellings. And in quiet what? resting places. When it shall hail coming down on the forest. And the city shall be low in a low place. Praise the living God. Blessed are ye that sow beside our waters, that send forth feet at the feet of the earth and the earth. You know the word, feet of the earth and the earth have to do with business, as the case may be. So you sow beside still water, you're talking about a place where everything you sow will take root. Are you, are you going to, following this now? But he's saying there is going to be a devastation, a confused state until the Holy Spirit be poured out. Hallelujah. Now, you need to watch what Jesus said about his Word. The words that I speak unto you, they are what? They are life and spirit. A minister was saying something a few days ago on TV, and he said the truth. Kenneth Hagin, for those of you who know, he made a statement sometime in his lifetime say so we stay with the world those who did not stay with the world they've come and gone but we're still here amen that's why I keep on emphasizing to you if the world was framed by the word of God and the world is being sustained by the word of God I don't see anything else you're looking for outside of the world because your life and your substance definitely is tied to the Word. The Word is God's life Himself. I believe in miracles. But don't you forget that miracles are gifts. But we're talking about the Empress Himself as opposed to what He gives to you. I believe in miracles 100%. But a life that you can receive, if you truly receive the word into your life, you become a walking miracle. Than looking for the miracle. You become a walking miracle. That is what I'm concerned about. That is what I love. Hallelujah. Go to Colossians 1. Verse 18. Let's read a few scriptures on this. Colossians one eighteen. As we answer this question, we need to ask this question: Who is Christ to the church, and where do you find His feet? Remember, we've already read and He told us, "You showed your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace." Is that okay? Is that okay? All right. So, who is Christ? Amen. And where do you find his feet? Now Colossians 1, let's look at team. And he, which is Christ, is the head of the body. The church. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have what? The preeminence. Now you can also take time to read your Ephesians 1 18 to 23. Now go to Ephesians, I mean Isaiah 52, verse number 7. But don't you forget that it said Christ is the head of the church. Is that okay? Hallelujah. The head of the body of the church. Okay. Now go to Isaiah 57, verse 52, verse number seven. And I say, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Is that okay? So, what is the answer to the question when we say, What was the question we asked? <laughs> Hallelujah. Who is Christ to the church and where do you find his feet? So the answer is simply, Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, therefore the church is also what? Am I right? If the church is his body and he is the head, then the only place you can find the feet is in the body. So in the true sense, you are the feet of Jesus. So what the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of them that praise the gospel, that bring the good tithing of peace. He's talking to you. He's talking about you. It's describing you. Hallelujah. Are you there? Do you follow what I've just said? By implication, it is you that will take Jesus wherever he needs to go. And wherever you step into, you are bringing peace to that region. I'm going to share some scriptures now. Just go down a little bit because we need to be fast. We don't have light here. Go to Matthew 16 verse 18. I have another question. Why did Jesus establish the church? Matthew 16, verse 18 and 19, you know very well. Jesus spoke in answer to the question of Peter as to who the men say that I am. And he said, I say unto thee, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will be in my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Is that Okay. And I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever thou shall be on earth shall be burned in heaven, and whatever thou shalt burn lose on earth shall be lose in heaven. Now look at Revelation 1, verse 15. Sorry, Revelation 1, verse 5, down to 6. Talking about this church. Why did he establish the church? And they said, and from Jesus Christ, verse 5 of Revelation 1. Who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood? Describing the entire church, am I right? Okay. And had made us kings and princes unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And we all say, Amen. amen. Now, if you look at chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 10, you now say, and has made unto our God Kings and priests And we shall do what? Reign on the earth Who is supposed to be reigning? You see Christ is meant to be reigning But Christ reigned through defeat. Did you get this? If you watch a man, a warrior, for instance, chariot riders, for instance, horse riders, for instance, the strength of their battle is directly connected to the horse. That's why the scripture says, some men trust in chariot, others trust in horses, but we trust in the living. Can you understand that? The chariot and the horses become the strength of whoever prepares them for battle. So if Christ is to conquer, it has to conquer through you. Are you following this now? Now look at chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians and see what I'm saying. Get a the connection there. We shall reign on the earth. And we should be reigning even now. There are territories to conquer, there are lands to possess for Christ. The gospel is a proactive activity. If there's something that means we need to move on, it doesn't really mean we have to sit down for somebody to move us on. We ought to move on. Okay, look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 25. For it must reign, who is reigning? Christ, till he has put all enemies under Fine. He's reigning and conquering and subduing them, but he uses his feet to accomplish what he's supposed to do. For instance, if there is a drunkard somewhere, how do you think Christ is going to be going to minister to the drunk? It's not all the time angels have to visit drunkards. Somebody has to talk to the drunkard. Are you following what I'm talking about? Now, when when somebody goes to talk to a drunkard and the person repents, there is a conquering that's taking place in the soul of that individual. Meaning, Christ has invaded that land. So how did he invade the land? He went through his feet. Hallelujah. And he said, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is what? Is dead. For I put all things under his feet. But when he say All things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected, accepted. Quit it, put all things under him. Is that okay? All right. So I say, Christ brought his child, his body into being to have dominion over all that God created to rule and reign. Hence, the enemy must be brought under what? The feet, can we look at the book of Romans, chapter 16, verse 20? The Bible says, God shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. Did you together, because the reigning authority is in you, Satan is meant to be under your feet, Satan is not meant to be your head. There is only one head that you have. The Bible described that Christ is the head of the man. Christ can't rule. I mean, the devil can't rule over you because you don't have two heads. You have one head. And that is Christ. So the level of authority of submission you have towards the head determines the level of dominion you will have upon the face of the earth. You know, it's funny sometimes when people sing, All power, all power belong. Have you heard that song before? But they leave such meeting place and see the devil reigning again. I don't know what they mean by the song they just finished singing now. If all power truly belongs to Jesus, which other one is tormenting people? It simply means we don't believe our confession. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So what are we asked to do with the gospel? This will be our last question. What are we asked to do with the gospel? Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse number 2. Preach the word. <laughs> this is supposed to be a commandment. Huh? If there are 10 commandments, you can add this or make it 11 commandments. Preach the word be instant in season and out of season reprove rebuke exalt with all long suffering and doctrine if you can get that for me message translation quickly try let's see if you can get that hallelujah did you get that preach the word be instant in season Out of season, reprove, rebuke, exalt with all long suffering and doctrine. What is he saying? So proclaim the message with intensity. Keep on your watch, challenge, warn, and urge your people. Don't ever quit, just keep simple. Amen? Reprove. Exalt with long suffering and doctrine. You know, some people some people don't like the word doctrine. And like, and like somebody said, I was listening, he said, Any man who said he doesn't believe in doctrine, I can associate with him. And that is true. Because doctrine defines us. The Bible talks about sound doctrine. Amen. Hallelujah. Go to Deuteronomy 20, verse number 10. Deuteronomy 20, verse number 10. When thou comest now unto a city to fight against it, then proclaim peace unto it. This is even when they were going to the promised land. You come to a city that you are about to fight against. What did he say you should do? Proclaim peace. It's amazing. You are going for battle. And you are also proclaim peace. How does that work? Just go to Luke 10 verse 5, then I will explain. Luke 10 verse 5. Are we there? And into whatsoever house you enter, first say, "Peace be to this house." Now, I understand something. You are out for witnessing. If you look at Deuteronomy there, it's the same thing you are finding in the book of Luke. Your witnessing is directly connected to a warfare situation. Can you remember what Jesus said? No man enter into another man's house. if They bind the strong man of that house. I don't know if you remember that. Okay. That means you are entering into another man's territory. So, it's the same thing as going into warfare. But what are you trying to do? You want to possess a land for your own king. Because you are an emissary from another kingdom. Are you following this? Now, What it really means when you say proclaim peace here, you are inviting them to come to a truce with God. That they be no longer rebels anymore through ignorance. When you are saying peace, you are bringing the life of God to them. You are trying to invite them to come to a place of reconciliation with God so that there will be no war between them and God himself. In other words, you are more or less an ambassador. Hallelujah. Now one of the major reasons why people can't accept and believe into what they are supposed to believe to is ignorance. Am I correct? Hallelujah. So you are conquering forms of rebellion and bringing the peace of God to the obedient ones through the ministry of reconciliation. This is why it is called the gospel of peace. You follow what I'm saying now? Anytime you step out into a region, you are conquering the spirit that is opposing the life of God in that region. And for as many as believed into you, the peace of God will release true use to them. How many of you remember what I taught you a few weeks ago? When Jesus spoke to the disciples and says, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted. Remember that? And who's ever seen you, you understand? They remember. Now, what does that mean? They were mortal men, but what it means to say is this, whoever accepts you as my messenger, accepts me. And their sins are also what? forgiven through the preaching. As you preach and the people believe, their sins are forgiven. They don't have anything else to do other than just to believe you and trust that I send you to them. Are you following that? So, truly he is the Prince of Peace but his peace can only be executed through his feet into the nations as we go to conquer the rebellious spirit that makes it completely difficult and impossible for them to become reconciled with who? With God. Man is supposed to be the enemy of God. I've always told you that before. The devil is not the enemy of God. How many of you know that? The Bible tells us we're enemies in our mind. Remember that? The book of Colossians. Good. The devil is simply a creature of God. It's not an enemy of God by no means. It's simply a creature of God. In fact, the Bible describes the devil as the adversary or the accuser of the brethren. Not of God. The devil, does he accuse God? Does he accuse God? Not at all. Hallelujah. Are you following what I'm talking about? But he accuses men before God. You know what? No one? Anytime you are standing before God, he's trying to accuse you that you don't have right to stand before God. Now if you're trying to listen to that kind of accusation or what he reminds you about, you will not have the boldness to come to the throne of grace to receive help in times of need. Are you are you still there? So if you have a consciousness that condemns you all the time, it is the devil trying to minister that to you so that you can be bold to stand on the throne of grace to receive help in times of need. God is not your enemy, you are not the enemy of God by no means. Am I talking to somebody? The peace of God ought and must reign in your life because He calls you unto Himself, He doesn't call you unto trouble, He calls you unto peace. Once you reconcile, can you imagine two nations fighting and they come into a place of covenant? They just cannot hurt one another anymore, practically impossible. So when we partake of the covenant of the table of the Lord, when He say, I will, "If you come in, I will sit with you and we eat with you," He's entering the covenant with you. I to into the covenant with you. He can never hurt you, because no two parties that have come into a covenant can hurt one another. You are not an enemy of God. Amen. Are you following what I'm talking about? So this is why it is called the Gospel of Peace. We are the one that goes out. You have been reconciled. can take the same message to other people and make them to understand you too can be what? reconcile, And the more we do this, the more we keep conquering. On your individual life, there are also realms that you need to conquer. Is that okay? Because there are some things that are ruling in your life right now that you need to overcome. You need to have some ability to be able to overcome them. That is also part of the reigning and ruling of the Christ through you. Because he also needs to possess you. Because even your physical body is paid for with a price. When we're talking about the end of the spirit, it's a, a deposit of that which is bought already, but have not been claimed or collected. Showing that our physical body also needs a place of redemption. And um, um, like I said, I'm going to preach a whole message on that. But you see, you remember something. I tried to make sure that any the Lord was sharing this with me. How many of you know that Jesus didn't really do any miracle. I couldn't read about that. Jesus didn't do a miracle 40 days when he walked on the air after resurrection. Have you noticed that? The Bible only told us he was just preaching about the kingdom of God and telling them. But there was no single record of a miracle he did after resurrection. Why? Because if he has raised any man that man will never die again. And the time for that kind of life was not yet then. So he wouldn't do a miracle. That tells me there is a time and a season for everything in our lives. We're going to speak fully on that. The Lord was sharing that with me while I was in River State. We're going to share fully on that so that we can understand how to walk in our life and in our seasons that God has ordained for us. And you find that He could not repeat what He did on the other side of the cross, on this side. Because the things He did, they cannot cross over to this side. This is a different life entirely not repeat them. So when you get out of the world, there are things you can never repeat anymore. Amen. <laughs> when you partake of his resurrection life. Am I talking to somebody? I don't want to preach. That's a different message entirely. Is that okay? But we're talking about the gospel of peace. You get tempted to see, speak on something. <laughs> Do you know that Jesus repented and we're going to talk fully on that. Jesus was not a sinner but the Bible said he was baptized, baptism of repentance. How many of you remember that? You read that? Why did he go to John? He was blah blah for a repentant. What did he repent of? He repented of religious activities. Because he grew up as a Jewish person going to the temple. But that order must also change. So there is a growth process in your life that you can't go back to the things you were doing before. All the things that were so exciting, even in religion, you can't continue with them. That's why it's difficult for some of us to really listen to everybody. Because there are things we need to repent from. Even in Christianity, you still need to repent.